Um, Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 21, verses 4 through 17. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, I didn't love my son at first. You know, so many people talk about how once you have a child, you fall in love with them right away. Well, it wasn't true for me. I didn't carry the the baby. I didn't experience what it meant to have this life living in you and, and all the sickness, although I had some sympathy weight gain. And I was preparing for this overwhelming feeling of love that was supposed to come when the baby had come. But all I remember is the screaming, the the blood, and this little alien-looking thing. (laughs) I knew in my mind that I'm supposed to love the baby. And I was very careful to take care of it. You know, it it was so small and, you know, dainty and, you know, also very, you know, I didn't want to hurt it in any way. But for the first few moments of weeks of my life with my son, I wasn't sure if I loved this child like I was supposed to. I didn't have that connection yet. You know, all it did was sleep and eat and poop and, right? Like, that's all it did. And so it took a little while before once my son started actually interacting, started smiling at me when I was holding it, you know, was tracking my face and, and all of this that... Slowly and surely enough, I was falling in love with my son. It took time to develop this love. It wasn't a just see it and, and, and have it kind of thing. And I'm sure it had to do with my own emotionally stuntedness, right? It wasn't because I didn't love the baby. I just didn't know what that felt like. So it took a while for, for this child to kind of, you know, uh, break in, as it were. 
And I'm one of those people, though, that I don't throw around that word easily, right? Some people, like, throw out love very quick, like, I love you, I love you, right? I'm not that kind of person. I don't say flippantly, I need to actually feel like I love you before I say I love you, right? So I'm not one of those people. I know there are, there's those of you who can love easily, and that's, I think, an amazing trait. But for me, it takes a while to actually say that. Like, that, that's not something I would just say about anything. And we know sometimes it's like that, right? Love takes time. Love takes time to grow. People talk about love at first sight, but we know that love is more than that initial attraction, that initial overwhelming feeling. But rather, this love is deep. It takes time to develop it's about going through trials and tribulations together, through, through the hard times and the good times. It's, it's experiencing someone's good and the bad, they're, they're the, the things that everyone else sees, but the parts of their character and personality that no one else knows but you. Love is more than that feeling. It's, it's about that deep-rooted connection, commitment, where you would be willing to die for that person. Hence, in a marriage vow, we make that commitment, right? We say in sickness or in health or richer or poorer until death do us part. This vow and promise we make in love is not something that we just say, but it's legally binding. It's one of the few times when you, when you make a promise that's not a, a legal contract where it's out of love. Out of love, you make this legally binding promise that, that goes beyond just this commitment, but is actually binding. You can't just all of a sudden say, you know what, I don't feel like I love you today, let's divorce. Divorce just doesn't happen. We're in this sermon series called uh, The Questions of Jesus, where we're exploring the questions that Jesus asks his people. And questions, I think what they do is they, they delve deep into our motivations, our desires, why we do what we do. And here, the question we're looking at is the question that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? I mean, what a question, right? Isn't this the question that we all ask ourselves of others? We want to be loved, to be accepted. To just be wanted. In this instance, though, is Peter isn't asking Jesus if Jesus loves Peter, but rather Jesus is the one that's asking Peter if Peter loves Jesus. And Jesus asked this question three times to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? So before we go into that question of Jesus... We have to kind of go back to see what has happened before. And one helpful way of understanding this story is to look at it in, in a play where you have different acts, right? So you have act one, act two, act three. And so we're going to look at it in three acts. In act one, we see Peter making this declaration of, uh, to Jesus, a promise of faithfulness where he will never leave Jesus. John chapter 13, 33. He says, my children, I'll be with you not much longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. We see in this passage that Jesus is explaining how he needs to go and die on the cross, that he won't be with the disciples much longer, that where he is going, that they can't follow. And Peter says, Jesus, where are you going? I want to go where you're going because I've been following you for the last three years of my life. And Jesus says to Peter, well, you're not going to be able to come where I'm going, but maybe later you will. Speaking about the kind of death that Peter himself will um, experience, experience and so peter makes this declaration this vow this promise saying i will never leave you in the other accounts of the story in the other gospels we see peter saying to jesus that even if all these other disciples if all of the other 11 disciples leave you behind i will never leave you in fact i'll die for you it's interesting to read how jesus responds to peter here when when he says he will lay down his life for Jesus. And I can imagine Jesus like cocking one of his eyebrows, like saying, really, Peter, will you lay down your life for me? Peter, I came so that I can lay down my life for you. I am the great shepherd. I am the one who will take care of the flock. And it is I who is the Messiah, the one who will die, not the other way around. Don't try to take this away from me. This is something God has called me to do. This is my calling, not yours, at least not yet. And so Jesus says to Peter, well, you know what's going to actually happen is before the rooster crows, you will deny me not once, not twice, but three times. Later on in the story, Act 2 now, we see that Jesus has been betrayed by Judas and now has been arrested. While Jesus is being taken away, we see Peter and another disciple following along to see where they're taking Jesus. John chapter 18, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of, his man's, one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and the officials stood around the fire that they had made to keep warm. It's a charcoal fire. And Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it saying, I am not. One of the high priest servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. I googled the greatest tra uh, tra uh, betrayals of all time, and this story wasn't one of the stories. You know, we had Judas and the, um, the, uh, uh, his betrayal with the 30 pieces of silver is on, up there as one of them. You know, Brutus and, and Caesar, you know, et tu Brute, that's one of like the greatest betrayals of all time. But this story of Peter isn't in that list. And I wondered why. Because if you think about it, Peter's betrayal to me 
is worse than Judas's in some sense. Because Peter was one of the inner three. He was the one that was going to be the one through whom, whom Jesus was going to build the church. He was the one that was, you know, speaking up and saying before all the other disciples, I'll never betray you, Jesus. I will never leave you. I'm, in fact, I'm going to die for you. And here we see Peter denying Jesus three times. Can you imagine how you would have felt if you were Peter? Would you have felt ashamed, guilty? I mean, I could imagine being one of the disciples following Jesus along while the, you know, the group of soldiers that have taken Jesus away, and you're following along, staying a little bit far enough so that you won't be noticed. And then you're in that courtyard, you know, warming by the fire, being incognito, trying not to uh, draw attention to yourself, and someone asks, are, are you one of his disciples? I could see why Peter would have said no. I mean, it's just a white lie, right? I'm not, I'm not saying anything that bad, right? I'm just trying to save my life. So, you know, he says no. I'm not. So I could see that happening with Peter because I would do that myself. But when Peter denies Jesus three times, it dawns on him right then and there that Jesus has said exactly this, that he would do it. And he realizes this and is, uh, that he has broken this promise and vow of, of love and loyalty that he's met, uh, made to Jesus in front of everybody too. It wasn't just like him and Jesus, but he told everybody that this, this is what he was going to do. And so in, in some of these other accounts of the story, it says that Peter, he broke down and wept bitterly. To break down and to weep bitterly. You don't get to that place without feeling really bad about yourself. How could I have done this? I said I would never be like that. I would never be like those people who would deny Jesus. I was going to be the one that was going to follow him to the death. The sense of failure, the guilt, shame that causes someone to weep bitterly. This was where Peter was at. Three acts, three denials, three questions. There's a theme going on here with John and the number three, but don't read into it too much. Sometimes I think there's, there's a group of uh, uh, folks who love looking at numbers in the Bible, and there are some you know, numbers that do connect, and the number three is a, a number of completeness that's in the Bible. And let's look at Act 3. Jesus is raised from the dead on the third day, and this is the third time that Jesus has appeared to the disciples the disciples have gone back to fishing, whether or not it's because they were, they've given up on their hopes of following Jesus or it's because it's something they knew how to do. Jesus comes again and tells them to cast their nets like the first time Jesus did a long time ago when they first invited him to be his followers. And Peter jumps off the boat to swim to Jesus because he realizes this is Jesus. And then we see again, Jesus is by the charcoal fire. This is the same charcoal fire where he, he denied Jesus three times. It is the only other time in the book of John that this word charcoal fire is mentioned by John. So John is setting up this scene, alluding to that time where, where Peter had denied Jesus three times. And here they're around the charcoal fire again. And we see for the first time, we see Peter having this interaction with Jesus since the betrayal. 
So since the time Peter had betrayed Jesus three times and have wept bitterly, and then Jesus has gone and died on the cross and has come back to life, but this is the first time he's having this interaction with Jesus. So you can picture Peter being a little bit sheepish, right? Not, not wanting to broach this, this subject, the, the unspoken guilt and shame that Peter must be feeling. I could imagine Peter replaying that scene, the words he has said to Jesus, I would never deny you, and then denying him. He would rehear the rooster crowing every morning, and that crowing would be that reminder for him, oh yeah, I denied Jesus. When they heard, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So why does Jesus ask Peter three times if he loved Jesus? Why not ask Peter, why did you deny me? Why did you forsake me? Why did you turn away from me? I thought you were going to lay down your life for me. What happened? Or why were you so afraid? No, Jesus doesn't ask Peter any of, those, any of these questions, but ask Peter the simple but yet piercing question of love. Even in the first act of the story we were looking at, Peter, made, when he made that declaration of, of loyalty and of wanting to follow Jesus, Jesus was telling his disciples to love one another as he had loved them. For Jesus, love is what matters to him. It's not about the acts of valor or even to follow him perfectly. It is love that matters to Jesus. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus asked Peter if he loves him three times because Jesus knows that Peter needs to be forgiven. Not because Jesus was, Jesus was angry and he needed to feel, you know, appeased of his anger. It wasn't because, like, he felt like, you know, Peter sinned and now he needs to be forgiven. It wasn't because Jesus was hurt by this betrayal. But rather because Jesus knew that Peter himself needed to receive forgiveness. And perhaps even to forgive himself for what he had done. The guilt and shame and the self-judgment needed to be dealt with. Jesus doesn't want us to bury the past. Jesus doesn't want to ignore it, nor does he just say, yeah, you know what, I already knew you were going to actually deny me, so it's okay. Don't worry about it, Peter. Let's, let's just move on. Rather, Jesus wants Peter to go to the place that maybe Peter himself didn't want to go to, the place of, of his brokenness, of his past that he didn't want to deal with. Peter is invited into that space because it is through that brokenness, that woundedness, that pain, that Peter can continue to feed Jesus' sheep. I looked at why, you know, uh, people renew their marriage vows. And there's 
a lot of different reasons for it, right? If it's like a blended marriage, sometimes it's, it's to renew their marriage because, you know, things have been rough, or it's just to celebrate what they've had together for the last 20 years. Many different reasons. But all these reasons are to point to that one point, uh, one reason of love, is to celebrate, to renew that commitment to love one another. It's a vow that they want to recommit themselves to, even though they've made it so long ago, but they know that it's important to be reminded of that vow again. To me, the story of Peter and Jesus is not just about forgiveness, but it's, it's also of this renewal. It's a story of helping Peter get to a place of dealing with his past, to renew that relationship so that Peter can con continue in his calling that Jesus had placed in his life to feed and take care of his sheep. It's cool to see the transformation of Peter, right? Peter is reinstated. Remember, he, denied, he said in front of his other, all the other disciples, I'll never deny you, and then he does. And so it's almost this like reinstatement by Jesus to say, even though you've done that, even though you could carry that shame and you carry and um, hold on to that guilt, you could let that go now because I'm going to reinstate you to feed and take care of my sheep. So we see this transformation of Peter being this boastful, you know, the first one off the boat kind of person to this humble um, servant of God. And Peter, you can see a little bit, a glimpse of this in 1 Peter 5, where he talks about being shepherds of God's flock. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. He says to be humble and to serve, to show humility toward one another. And this is the secret of all Christian ministry, according to N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright says that whether you're a pastor or not, whether you're, you're working in, in, in a in a non-Christian place or not, every follower of Jesus is called to this single thing that if any single solitary thing as a follower and servant of Jesus that is built on is this, that somewhere deep down inside, there is a love for Jesus, and though goodness knows you've let him down enough times, he wants to find that love to give you a chance to express it, to heal the hurts and failures of the past, and to give you a new work. And Jesus wants to do that same work in you. We all come to Jesus with our own story, our own hurts and pains and failures and wounds. Jesus calls us to follow him not once we have everything figured out, not only when we have the best parts to offer to him, but he wants those parts of us that are these parts of us that, that we don't even want to deal with, that we may be ashamed to look at. He wants all of us, not just the best parts, but even the parts that we find too ugly to look at. And Jesus uses the very mistakes and failures of our lives as a jumping point for ministry. It's not about avoiding our failures. It's not just, I'll forgive you and we'll move on. But rather, Jesus transformed the very brokenness and the pains and, and, and uses that to bring about good. 
It is through our wounds, that is, because we are healed through the wounds of Jesus, that in a similar way, when we let Jesus into the places of our pain, of our hurt, of our shame, that he transforms that and uses it for good. He redeems even the worst parts of us. And those very places, the wounds in our hearts can be the places through which we can heal the world. I still remember when I was in high school, one of the things, you know, uh, as, as a family we were struggling was because my parents divorced and it was, it was so rocky and my family life was a mess. But, and the bad and the good thing about it was like everybody in the church knew. It felt like my, my family life was an open book. Everyone knew about it. And, you know, and part of it was my, I guess, own struggle and trying to deal with that and having my church family being the place of healing, right? So everyone knew my story. People were praying for us. And what, what that created was, in a weird way, a, a, a door for people to come and talk to me about their problems. I think that's when I decided I wanted to be a pastor, or I, back then I thought maybe a counselor. Because people would just randomly would come and want to talk to me about their problems. It's almost because I was going through something, they felt like it gave them permission to talk to me about the struggles they were going through. What I didn't know back then that I know now is that it's through our own pains and struggles, if we're willing to be honest and, I would say, courageous enough to be vulnerable. Sometimes we think being vulnerable is a weakness, but vulnerability is through, that is through the, that's the channel through which healing happens. And because Jesus himself dies on the cross and makes the most ugly, hideous, hideous thing into a beautiful symbol, in the same way, he can enter into our pain, the places that we don't want to look into, and he redeems that. And he redeems it for glory. He redeems it to serve others, to heal others of their pain. So the question, do you love me, isn't a question of accusation. It's a question of invitation. Jesus wants you to love him back. He already loves you. He knows everything about you. We know Peter already denied Jesus three times and yet still invites him into this love relationship. In the movie Harry Potter, I know it's, it's a shift right there a little bit. Uh, for those of you that haven't uh, re seen the movie or read the books, I, I should talk, to, talk about the books more. But in the, in the series Harry Potter, the book series, uh, Professor Snape makes this deal with Narcissa, uh, Draco Malfoy's mom, to protect her child against Lord Vol Voldemort. Right? Because Lord Voldemort wants Draco to go and kill Professor Dumbledore. And Drake, um, Narcissa, his mom, doesn't want Draco to do this because he understands, she understands the, 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 first of the danger, but also what kind of person that it would make Draco into be. And so guess um, Professor Snape to make a promise with Narcissa. And in this promise that he makes is called the unbreakable vow. So, they, so Professor Snape makes this unbreakable vow with Narcissa that that he will do what Draco was supposed to do, that he will protect Draco and be the one that will go and kill Professor Dumbledore. 
And I thought of that because I thought about this vow that Peter made with Jesus, which he broke. And many times we also break our vows with Jesus. Right? We say, Jesus, okay, I won't do that again. I've done that. I won't do that again. And we end up failing, making the same mistakes. You know, I, I don't know how many times I've said I won't get mad on the highway. Like, that, you know, I can't be a person of, of, of breeding hate and anger on the road as, as a, a Christian, right? Like, I'm supposed to sow peace and love, and yet on the road, I'm honking and, you know, like, what the heck, right? Right? And I, every time I do I'm like, oh, Jesus, I said I want to do that again. I did it again, right? Yet, the beautiful thing about that promise that Snape makes, and I think that Jesus makes with us, is that Jesus is making that unbreakable vow with us. We don't need to make that unbreakable vow because Jesus has done that for us. So that even in our failing, even when we mess up, Jesus doesn't say, you messed up, forget it, we're done. He invites us back in, saying, and you know what? I'm going to actually use your mess to bring good into this world, to heal others, to be an agent of healing as he heals us. So the question really is, what is that space for you? Where do you have to invite Jesus in? When you hear the words, do you love me by Jesus, where is that place you need to go? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you love us. That we never need to question whether or not you love us because that is true. That is a truth that we need to embrace. There's no buts. We don't have to do something first before you loved us, that you love us just as we are. Yet because you love us so much, you don't want us to stay where we are. But you invite us into your presence, into this loving relationship with you. And you invite us into um, your life, but also to the places that we can't seem to face ourselves. But you're patient, so you don't want to push us too hard. But yet you move us and you convict us. So we pray for a spirit of openness. Jesus, come into the places where we are scared to go ourselves. And Jesus, we admit we're scared and we don't want to go there. And you say that's okay. Because your call is to love you, to love you back. So we look to that. We look to your love. And we want to keep following you even if we fail, knowing that you love us even when we do and even through our failures that you invite us in. So we hold on to that promise as we go forth. We, we hold on to that prom promise as we consider 
facing those places we don't want to face. And we hold on to that promise as we stumble along wanting to follow you, knowing that you love us and we want to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen.